Thanksgiving. I'll be in Luke 17, verses 11 and following. I don't know what it is about Thanksgiving that I like so much. I think the fact that it's, they hadn't figured out how to over-commercialize it yet. You know? It's a speed bump on the way to Christmas. And for some people, it's not even a speed bump. It's a freeway. You know, we have, we start Christmas celebration as far as decorations and, and sales in September. Thanksgiving is a time for all of us to pause and give thanks to God for all that He has done. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful time of year. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, the attitude of gratitude. For it says, Now on His way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as He was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met Him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, forgive us for not thanking you for all the small things as well as the large. Lord, help us to have that attitude of gratitude that so permeates our lives that everything that we see, we recognize that we have received from you. Every good and perfect thing comes from above, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that. Be with us today that we would open our hearts to you, our minds to your truth, and grant, Lord, that we would have the courage to respond as you so direct. So thank you, Lord, for the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. It was on a stormy night in the year 1860 when a side-wheel steamboat by the name of the Lady Elgin collided with a lumber schooner, broke up, and sank in Lake Michigan, a mile offshore from the village of Juanetha, Illinois. Of the 393 aboard, 279 drowned. Among the heroes was a college student named Edward Spencer, a strong swimmer, Spencer plunged in and saved 17 people, one after another. After the 17th trip, he became delirious from the strain and was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. On one of his birthdays, years later, someone asked him about the most vivid memory of that heroic day. His reply was that not one of the 17 people Return to give him thanks. What is it about us as humans that have this inability to be thankful? We seem like we receive gifts and things that uh, are given to us with a thankful heart, but then we turn around and want more. What is it in our lives that that gratitude, that attitude of gratitude doesn't permeate everything that we do and everything that we say. You see, as I see this situation with the 
ten lepers. Nine went away from Jesus. Only one came back to give him thanks. Well, there's four things that I want to leave with you this morning. First of all, we recognize that there was isolation. Verse 12 says that these lepers stood at a distance. Josephus, the ancient historian, said that lepers are treated like dead men. Luke 5 has also already recorded the fact that Jesus had another encounter with a a leper who came and and fell down at Jesus' seat and asked him to have mercy on him, to heal him. You see, a leper was a... Uh, leprosy was a disease that was considered highly contagious in that day and age. And leprosy was a horrible disease. So anyone that had contracted leprosy, any time they came near any human, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people could keep their distance and not in their own minds contract that dreaded disease. Well, you know and I know that sin always causes isolation. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin, in spite of this day and age of inflation, the wages of sin remain the same. It's death. Death means separation from God. When we disobey God, we are separated from Him in our own disobedience. And that that separation is spiritual death to us. We become less sensitive to what the Lord wants, what He expects, what He asks for us. So it is that isolation that causes us to be separated from people. Sin not only isolates us from God, but it isolates us from other people too. We go down a certain path where we're disobedient to the Lord and we begin to become strangers, if you will, estranged from our closest friends and family members. It puts a strain on these relationships that we have in our lives. So that separation uh, caused by disobedience to God results in a lack of a relationship with others. Well, sometimes, though, that circumstances cause us this uh, isolation. Sometimes we get in a situation where As the psalmist said, God causes us to lie down in green pastures. Sometimes there's that physical health issue that isolates us from others. Sometimes we're homebound. Sometimes we're bedbound. Sometimes we're just isolated for no other reason other than health or uh, other kinds of issues. Isolation becomes one of those issues that we have to deal with. But look at the next thing. Salvation. When they cried out in verse 13, Master, the word literally when he says, Jesus, Master, have pity on us, that word Master is a a military word that literally means Chief Commander. You are supreme in our lives. Master, have mercy on us. You see, Jesus and his response to us results in a wholeness, a cleansing, it is that situation where the healing is wonderful, but then salvation is everything. You know, the, there's a song that's out now in the chorus that I like so well. It's, Lord, let me, let me love the Savior more than the saving. Let me love the healer more than the healing. 
And I think that's one of our problems in our own human experience. We get to the point where, where we look forward more to the healing than to the healer and the relationship with Him. We look forward more to the saving process of us than the Savior. And so the relationship is what Jesus is establishing here. It is that salvation that comes to us through Jesus. I had this conversation with someone yesterday about about what the difference is between Christianity and religion. It was a big deal. This particular person wanted to be rightly related to his or her particular church. And I said, you know, the thing about it, the Bible says that everything that we do to reach God in our own effort is religion. It is defined as religion. It is chanting, it is lighting candles, it's doing religious works, and on and on and on. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So Christianity is not religion, it is a relationship. From the very beginning with Adam, God wanted to establish a relationship with us so that we, by His, by our Creator, would have this relationship walking with God in the cool of the afternoon as Genesis talks about. But then our man's sin, man's disobedience to God, resulted in separation. And from that point forward, man devised religious pursuit. We have all these rules and regulations and religious practices and so on and so forth to reach God in our own efforts. But Christianity is God taking the initiative and reaching us through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It is God wooing mankind to Himself through His Son, Jesus. It is God doing these things, not religiously, but relationally. And there is all the difference in the world. So when I come to realize that, I fall in love more with the Savior than I do with the saving because He's going to take care of it anyway. Well, there's that salvation. But thirdly, there's that jubilation. Notice in verses 15 and 16, when one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I don't think he really cared who was listening. You know, if you're a leper and you've been cleansed from this particular ravaged disease, you're going to praise God. You're going to praise Him loud. You see, leprosy, they, there used to be colonies that isolate lepers. And in these colonies, you could go through, you can see how leprosy begins to uh, eat away at the extremities. People, I've seen lepers with their noses gone and facial disfigurement with their fingers gone and Sometimes their entire hand is missing. Sometimes it affects their feet, and so that those are gone as well. And so when you're restored and all of this comes back, you think you wouldn't be praising God aloud? I think you would. Uh, instead of saying, unclean, unclean, in the top of your voice, you'd say, praise God for what He has done for me. It is that experience that we have in our attitude of gratitude that results in the jubilation. Now, I want you to also see that it was the Samaritan that came back out of all the ten. Well, disease and sin and all these other things make strange bedfellows. Jews and Samaritans together, but they all had leprosy. 
This was the Samaritan that came back. Why is that significant? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. I mean, after all, these were used to be, generations ago, uh, pure-blooded Jews who were intermarrying with all of these invading armies. And these conquering armies would move in and take their wives as their own, and so the bloodline was no longer pure, and they looked at them and thought, hmm, these are not people that we want to associate with. Samaritans, they even worshipped up in Mount Gerizim. Well, he's a Samaritan. And the Bible says that uh, this Samaritan came back praising God, falling at his feet. Now, you think when you read this, well, why didn't the other nine come back? Maybe the Samaritan's leprosy was worse. Uh, maybe his... Maybe his extremities were were gone more so than the others, or maybe it had progressed more in his body than the others. We don't know that. There was a there was a situation in Luke seven where Jesus had been invited to lunch to have dinner with uh, one of the Pharisees by the name of Simon, obviously, because this this Pharisee named Simon wanted a private audience. And the Bible says that as he was uh, dining with Simon, the Pharisee, he reclined at table. Now reclining, many of you already know this, that when in those days they would uh, lay prone by the table and they would prop themselves up on an elbow and their feet would be extended behind themselves. And then we see the picture of a woman coming in, uninvited, into that scene, and as she knelt at the feet of Jesus, she began to weep. And with her tears, she washed the feet of Jesus. And with her hair, she wiped them dry. And then she took that alabaster box that she had around her neck, which was part of of her dowry. Alabaster was an expensive box, and it was hand-carved. And she broke it open and poured the perfume out on Jesus' feet as she wept and dried his feet with her hair. Well, Simon took issue with this. Of course, he would. He was a Pharisee. And he said, you know, if you were a prophet, Lord, if you were a prophet, you would understand that this woman is a sinner. Jesus looked at him and said, let me give you a parable. There are two debtors One owes 50 denarii to his creditor. Now, a denarii was a day's wage. The other one owes 500 denarii to his creditor. Well, that's almost two years of wage. And he said, if the creditor just decided to forgive both of their debts, who do you think would be more grateful? Well, didn't take Simon long to respond to this one. Of course, the man who owed 500 denarii. I mean, he was 10 times more in debt than the other man. And Jesus says, the person who has been, given, been forgiven much loves much. And Jesus said, I came in here and you never offered to wash my feet. You never gave me that kiss of greeting when a host invites a guest, nor did you 
anoint my head with oil. But this woman, this uninvited woman, has come in. She's not only washed my feet with her tears, dried my feet with her hair, but she's anointed my feet with her expensive perfume. Hmm. Well, where are the other nine? This attitude of gratitude. Where are the other nine? You know, Romans 1.21 talks about this defiance that we have in humans as humans against God. How is it defined in Romans 1.21? The Bible says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Wow. So, these are people who don't acknowledge God as Creator, as God as Sustainer of the earth, as God as our rock and our salvation. They recognize the fact that He exists, but that's about it. Nor, the Bible says, do we give thanks to Him. The lack of thanksgiving in our own heart, in our own mind, in our own soul, results in separation from God. The attitude of gratitude spills out in us, not only in our finances, it spills out in our relationship, it spills out in our servanthood, our mentality. It's there. We pray for big things. We're grateful for big things. But all those little things that God provides for us, we don't even think about. Water. So many people in the world don't even have access to water. We have, we have roofs over our head. So many people don't have roofs. Do you know that the wage of poverty in this country, those that live in poverty in our country are probably wealthier than 93% of the world's population? And yet we don't thank God. You and I have so much to be grateful for. Thomas Kelly put it this way. We pray for big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary small and not yet not so really small gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? It's that hug, that handshake. It's that smile. It's those little things that that we don't acknowledge gratefully from the Lord God Almighty. Wow. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus in everything. Not for everything, but in everything give thanks. Psalms 92.1 said it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Psalms uh, 103 tells us to always give thanks to God. Ephesians 5.20, give thanks to God for the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Everything. Martin Rinkert, Jim has been real good about giving us background for these particular uh, songwriters. Martin Rinkert was a pastor in the 1600s. He was, uh, in the year was 1636, and it was in the midst of famine, pestilence, and destruction of the Thirty Years' War. For some time, Rinkert was the only pastor in the walled city of Eilenburg in Saxony. Many people in the city were casualties of the war or victims of hunger and illness. During the Great 
pestilence of 1637, Rinkert ministered to the people of the city and conducted 4,500 burial services. Sometimes as many as 40 or 50 a day. One of them was his wife. A man of frail body but heroic character, Rinkert faithfully served the people of his congregation in the community of Eilenburg from 1617 until his death in 1649. I want you to hear what he says and how he wrote it. This was put to a hymn later on. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things have done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. He continues by saying, Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God the Father now be given the Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore. For thus it was, is now, and shall be forevermore. Well, can you praise Him? Just listen to the psalmist. Psalm 7, verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord because of His righteousness and will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalms 28, 7, my heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. Psalms 30, verse 12, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks forever. Psalms 105, 1, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Psalms 106, 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalms 107, let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for men. Wow. Well, that's not the end of the story. The last point I want to mention to you is that point of identification. That point of identification. Look with me at verse 14. When He saw them, He said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. You see, when the Lord begins to touch our lives, we should publicly not only identify with Jesus Christ, but with His family. It is extremely important that we do this. Luke, uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 said, Lepers must show themselves for examination before they are allowed to re-enter society. Same for those who are made whole by Jesus. Why do we have public profession of faith? Why do we have an invitation at the end of the sermon? So that people can publicly identify with Jesus and with His family. Why do we have baptism? Because it's a a powerful symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is publicly being identified with Jesus Christ. And it is important. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. In other words, identify yourself as a follower of mine and begin that fellowship journey with this family of faith. And some of you are looking for a church home. Uh, I don't know what you're waiting on. Honestly, I don't. Because I don't know of a better 
family of faith to serve than right here at Trinity Baptist Church. I mean, we are a people of, of, that are not perfect. Under any stretch of the imagine are we not perfect, but we are a family of faith that strives to serve the Lord and to honor Him in our daily living. We sometimes fall short of the glory of God, but we're still out there plugging away. And so it is important that that identification becomes a part of our gratitude demonstrated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're here this morning. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is your opportunity to do just that. You've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. Or maybe you have trusted Jesus Christ at some point in your life and you want to identify with a family of faith. And Jesus said, if you're really grateful, this gratitude is going to spill over into your public identity with Jesus and with His people. So never be ashamed to identify with the people of God, nor with Jesus. Maybe you're looking for this church home. This is where the Lord sent you. This is where you ought to be. As the Lord so directs, you should come. And for all of us here today, each and every one of us, that attitude of gratitude should spill over into our hearts. That we don't see the negative. We don't speak the negative. We're not skeptical or critical. We're not caustic in our language or in our behavior. That attitude of gratitude so permeates us that people see the love of Christ and our appreciation in return. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we praise you for who you are and we thank you for this day. Lord God, so be with us that we might do, say, and think the things that bring you glory. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for in this day, this age. Father, you have done so much, nothing that we deserve. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that is far exceeds anything that we can comprehend. Lord Jesus, we just pray today for these decisions, whatever they are, Lord God, allow us through these decisions to demonstrate our gratitude to you. Thank you, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.